good to see you here this morning. I am Pastor Josh, and I am uh, so happy to have the opportunity to come and speak this morning. Uh, I want to thank the worship team for a wonderful time of worship. That was amazing. And uh, we're going to continue on our time of worship this morning by hearing from God's Word. Uh, for those of you who are visiting, I want to welcome you and thank you for deciding to be here with us and trust that your time will be blessed and that uh, you will have the opportunity to worship God and to honor Him and also that God would be able to speak into your heart this morning and minister to you wherever you, uh, you are at in your life. Uh, for those of us who are listening in, we have those in the video cafe and in the chapel as well. And those who are listening in by podcast, we want to welcome you and thank you for joining us. Uh, if you are here and don't find yourself with a Bible, uh, our ushers are coming down the aisle. You can just raise your hand and they would be happy to lend you one. And at the end of the service, you can just leave that on the chair beside you. Or if you have uh, your own copy of the Bible or you can follow along, uh, following the Version app, uh, you can follow along on your smartphone, look up in, under live events and you can track using the uh, notes that are available there or the notes that are available in your bulletin. I don't know how many of you uh, have um, ever done a, a personality test before. Anyone ever done a personality test in the past? Okay, many of you. Very good. I've done it as well. Uh, my first time I ever did it was in seminary. I was elected to be on the student council, and one of the first activities that we did, or exercises, was taking this personality test. And I loved it. For me, I, I'm the kind of person that likes learning more about who I am and what kind of makes me tick. And I love those sort of things. And so we did this exercise. But it wasn't just for us as the individual. Everyone on the team took the test. And the purpose of that was so that we would understand who each of us was and the way we tick and, and how we understand and relate to one another. And, and that was the point. It was to understand what our team dynamic would be. Because I'm sure you have experienced in your life at some point or another where you have gone into a conversation and you have said something and the other person just explodes at you and you're like, oh, that's not what I meant. And something was missed in those lines of communication. And many times what it is is that we communicate in a way that makes sense to us, but other people don't receive it that way. They, they communicate and they understand and they view their world in a different way. And so one of the nice things about these personality tests is that they help us understand uh, who we are and how we can relate to one another. So over the years, people have developed different tests. On the screen, you'll see a few examples. There's the DISC personality profile test. There's a Kiersey uh, example of that. There's the Myers-Briggs model, all these different things. The one I'm most familiar with is DISC, the D-I-S-R-C-S that you see up there. And uh, I find it very helpful, and, and over the years, it's come in very handy. I've been part of churches and, and ministries where I've used this personality profile to, to work with the team uh, and that I've worked with, and have found it very helpful. And, and even as recent as last year here at Portico, as we were training a new group of ministry volunteers or ministry partners, uh, we were using this to help them understand who they are and maybe where some of their uh, key areas in the church they could be serving, where God has blessed them and, and shaped them, and how those can be expressed in the gifts that they have, and, and where that relates to around the church. Now, the, the thing about personality tests is that they are not meant to put you in a box. These are not meant to say, this is who you are, and you have to conform to this. This is the only way to understand yourself. No, I would never suggest that. 
But for those of you who may be skeptical about it, what I would offer is this, that these are useful tools. It's one of many ways that we can try and understand the way God has made us. I think there are other ways as well. One is we can look to our family or trusted friends, people who know us and and observe us on a regular basis, and, and they can see things in our lives that are the way that God has made us. And I think those are just as important uh, to help us in understanding who we are. So this morning we're starting a new series, and Pastor Doug and Pastor Jeff are are not here this morning. They, along with the team, have made their way to Israel for almost two weeks' time, and we're praying that God would keep them safe and trust that you'll pray for them, that they'll have a blessed time. But as I like to say, while Doug and Jeff are away, the rest of us get to play. So uh, this is a wonderful time. No, we're, we're, we're going to keep the fort here and uh, hold down the fort and uh, hope that we will do them justice while they're away and trust that they will come back to us soon. Now, while we uh, were planning what we're going to be working on next, uh, Pastor Doug and Pastor Jeff and, and the team were, came up with this new series that we're going to be following. It's called Transformation, where imperfection meets grace. And what we're doing is we're going to be looking at a few examples of people in the Bible and how God gave them gifts and how God was using them in a particular way and how God had this great idea for them and then how sometimes we kind of step away from that or we don't understand completely or entirely what it is that God is trying to do in us. So we make decisions on our own and we're going to explore some of those stories. And so today I want to introduce you to James and John. For those of you who are familiar with this, uh, with these names, these are two of the 12 disciples that Jesus had. And so their story unfolds throughout the four Gospels. And what's neat is uh, even just the way that they were introduced to us. Jesus was walking down the shore and he calls uh, Peter and his brother Andrew because he saw them in a boat and he said, come follow me. And our verse this morning or our context verse is in Matthew chapter 4 verse 21 and 22. And as Jesus, after he called Peter and Andrew, says this, A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called to them too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. I'm just going to pause there for a moment. I don't know if you've ever come across that passage and just said, Wow, that's kind of strange. Why would they just up and leave? So let me hopefully provide some context here. In that day and age, for the Jews, it was very important, uh, their faith was very important to them. And so one of the greatest things that these parents of children could aspire for their children was that they would become teachers of the law or rabbis. And so from an early age, uh, they were learning scripture, they were memorizing it, and as they grew older, these rabbis or these teachers, they would pick and, and see over time people who just seemed to be exceptional in memorizing scripture and understanding scripture. And as they grew up, by the time they were in their early teens, they would call young kids into rabbinic, uh, a rabbinic path, a rabbinic lifestyle. And so this was what parents were hoping for. Now, if they didn't become rabbis, if no one called them, they would more than likely follow the trade of their own parents. So be it a carpenter or a fisherman in this case. They could have been any sort of trade uh, that they found in their society. But everyone kind of hoped that they would become rabbis. So now imagine this. Years later, at this time, uh, Peter, uh, uh, Peter and Andrew, uh, James and John, they were all in their late teens, maybe in their early 20s. So this is years after anyone would have ever called them into a rabbinic way. 
And here comes this man, a rabbi, walking down the shore and says, come, follow me. So when you hear that, that is the best thing you could ever hope for. And so that's why when you see these men just up and leave and leave their father literally in the boat and just walk away, this is why they did it. And it wasn't a bad thing. A father was probably very excited for them that a rabbi or teacher was calling them. So this is what's happening there. Now, Jesus kind of knew what he was getting into. You know, Jesus knew the the men uh, that he was calling, and over time, he came to know them even better. So there was nothing of a surprise, you know, years later at the time of his crucifixion when he was betrayed, betrayed by Judas. This didn't come as a surprise to him. Jesus wasn't, hadn't made a mistake by calling Judas. God knew who each of his disciples were. He knew what they brought to the table. And so when we kind of discover who James and John are as the story unfolds, nothing about this was a problem or a difficulty for Jesus. He knew what he was getting into. So let's look at their story and see what it is that we can understand and learn from them and how that applies to us. So what I want to kind of focus on today is ambition. All of us, I hope, have ambitions in life. We hope that we will achieve and accomplish different things. Maybe it's to have a type of job or we want to work our way up the corporate ladder and have a certain type of position because it carries with it some status and identity and and salary. I can understand why we do that. Uh, For others of us, we have certain expectations and ambitions for our family. We want a certain number of kids. We want a certain type of house. We want a certain type of neighborhood, things like that. Or maybe even our own spiritual journey. We have goals and aspirations of what our relationship with God is going to look like. Those are all good things. We have ambitions. And I think in the same way, James and John had some ambitions as well. And so when we read this verse, Mark chapter 3, verse 17, we catch a glimpse of what Jesus thought of James and John. It says this, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, he was calling out, he was in the midst of listing out the names of the disciples. But Jesus nicknamed them the Sons of Thunder. Now, I don't know what you think of when you hear that name, Sons of Thunder, but I get the idea that these guys were probably a little boisterous, a little hot-headed, hot under the collar, uh, maybe kind of thought very much of themselves, were very uh, um, self-indulgent, I would say. You know, they really were powerful men. So thunder, you get that uh, picture image in your head. So what is it about these ambitions that you have in your own life? I want to think about that as well. Now, personality tests, I was saying before, are a great way to understand that. Family, they're also good. Friends. And so in this way, Jesus was nicknaming his disciples. And in this way, he said, these are the sons of thunder. Now, James and John probably acted in this particular way. They were probably people who... Uh, we don't really understand yet why they were like this. And so what's nice is that over the course of the gospel story, the gospel narrative, we come to see some examples of what Jesus saw in them that would qualify this nickname, Sons of Thunder. And so when we think about what it is that God sees in us, the first one I want to talk about is ambition identified. God sees something in you that he loves because he made you that way. He made you the way that you are. He made you the way that you think. The things that you love in life. The things that scare you. Everything about you is a perfect image. You know, there are sometimes things that we wish we could change, but God sees that as a whole, the masterpiece together is beautiful, just as it is. 
Now, the tension or the paradox here, though, is that, yes, you, we should celebrate the person that we are. We should love and, and come to understand that God made me the way I am, and I should be happy about that. At the same time, we shouldn't be satisfied with the way they are, because there are things in our life that should change. And through God's grace and his love, and in the course of our relationship with him, God is going to work in us. So yes, one, we should be uh, happy about who we are, but also be willing to grow and change. And which leads me to this next point, which is ambition misdirected. And what happens here is that James and John probably had some ambitions in life, and which was characterized as the idea of being called the sons of thunder. But as I mentioned, there are some examples in Scripture that show us maybe this wasn't uh, being played out the way that we would have hoped. So let me turn your attention to some passages. One is found in Mark chapter 9, verse 38. John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. I mean... Really? Sounds very uh, exclusive, this type of club that John thinks he's a part of. Jesus, they're not one of us. They're not part of our in-group. So we told him to stop doing what he was doing. So all of a sudden, we're starting to catch this glimpse of what John kind of thinks of himself and starts to think of others. Uh, Later on, we catch another glimpse of this winning attitude, so to speak. In Luke chapter 9, uh, verse 54, but I'll set the context. We'll start at verse 51. As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? Oh my goodness. These guys are think something about themselves and, and really have a this problem of looking down on others. Well, they didn't welcome you, God, so we feel the appropriate response for that is to burn them. I don't know. I think that's a little over the top, but we're starting to see a bit of what's uh, boiling underneath here. Now, if those two examples, though, weren't clear enough, I think this kind of is the epitome of, of what we see here. Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 37. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said... We want you to do for us whatever we ask. What would you want me to do? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and at the other at your left in your glory. James and John have the audacity to say to Jesus, God, do whatever it is that we ask of you to do. I'm like, oh my goodness. I cannot believe the... I cannot believe they have guts to say this to Jesus that they should do that God should do whatever it is that he would have, that they would want him to do. I cannot believe that they would be so bold as to suggest such a thing. And yet, this is the type of person, these are the type of people that James and John were. They had ambitions. God saw in them, Jesus saw in them that they were sons of thunder. They had boldness. They had passion. But what was happening was that they were misdirecting this ambition. They were applying it in such a way that they said, well, look at us. We are the disciples of this teacher, this rabbi, the son of God. Look at who we are. Look at our status. Look at the privilege that we have. You are not worthy. And they would look down on other people. They would see other people and say, bring down fire from, from heaven. They are not part of our group, so they're not allowed to do what we do. God, do what it is that we ask you to do. This is the kind of people that were part of Jesus' disciples. So what do we do with something like that? 
It's, it's, it, it boggles my mind that Jesus knew that these were the men that would be part of his disciples. But remember what I said before. Jesus was not taken aback. He was not surprised. He knew what he was getting into. Because I feel like there is something that we can take in this as well. That no matter what we bring to the table, God can use us. God did not disqualify us just because we have certain things that we do and certain ways that we think. Because if that was the case, none of us would be qualified. I love the saying, God does not call the qualified, he qualifies the called. That's exactly what it is for each and every one of us. If it was based on our merit, if it was based on our righteousness, none of us would measure up. It's only by God's grace that we are called to be his sons and his daughters. And so by that, by grace, we come before him humbly. And that's a wonderful thing. And so going back to James and John, Jesus wasn't surprised. He knew that this was a process. He was shaping them. He saw something good in them. And this journey was about shaping them and molding them and helping them do the thing that was called of them. And it wasn't there right away, but that's okay. God knew what he was doing. He was taking his time. He was shaping them. He knew where they were going to end up. He knew that this would be a process, that it wouldn't be perfect from the beginning. He was willing to grow them and let them understand and embrace the way that God would want them to be. And so that leads me to my third point, is that it was their ambition that was fulfilled. So sometimes when we think that we misunderstand the way that we have our ambitions, I think there comes a point where our ambitions, our, our desires, our passions, uh, our tendencies become fulfilled because they're being used in the right way. And the same can be said for James and John. It wasn't until much later that James and John understood what it meant to be a disciple and they, they understood the reason for their status and power. Yeah, they were disciples of Jesus. That's a, that's a pretty heady thing. That's pretty big. They had passion. They had power. They had status. They had privilege. There were things that, you know, people looked up to these disciples, those who followed Jesus. Those are good things. But the story, as it unfolds, begins to show that they began to realize what it was. What was the purpose for this status? What was the purpose for this privilege? What was the purpose for their ambition? And it begins to unfold even at the point of the cross. And while Jesus is hanging there on the cross, it says in John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, this is John, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. You know, for someone as, as privileged and with such status as James and John, for these two brothers to be the disciples of Jesus and to know that they had gone out into the world and ministered to so many people and people's lives had been changed, there had been healings and deliverance and all these different things, to know the great potential that they had. And then at this moment, Jesus' simple charge was, here is your mother. And John accepted it. He said, I will take her as my own. And she came on to live with him. He began to realize that this wasn't about power. It wasn't about status. It wasn't about any of this. It was about being a servant. With all the power and status that you have, you may feel yourself entitled to what it is you think you have coming to you. But it's in that moment when you are the bigger person, when you're willing to lay down those rights, when you're willing to lay down those things that you think you deserve and say, instead, I will be a servant. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to allow others to be better than myself. In 1 John chapter 4, 
this book was written by John as well. In verse 7 and 8 of chapter 4, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. I love those opening words. Dear friends, let us love one another. John began to realize this is what it was about. It wasn't about having status. It wasn't about those ambitions of being in power and lording it over other people. It was about love. That was his motivation. That was the thing that he realized why he had been given what he had been given. And it plays itself even to the end of the Bible. In the book of Revelation, it's also written by John. And in the opening chapter, we see that John is given the privilege of a revelation. And he's told, I want you to write down whatever you see. Now imagine, John is in this position where he has been chosen by God above all other people to be the one to write down what he sees, this great revelation. The old John would have been proud. The old John would have said, look at me. Look at, look at this privilege that I have and you don't. Instead, the way John responds is that he falls down in worship. He falls down prostrate before the Lord. That's what he does. Now we realize he finally gets it. It's not about status. It's not about ambition. It's not about all these other things that we think appropriate. It's about being humble before God and embracing the idea of being a servant. So what does it mean for you and I? We've looked at the story of James and John. We know what it means to identify ambition in our lives. And we also know what it means where our ambitions can be misunderstood and what it means to have it fulfilled in the right way. So what about you and me? What is it that you see in your life? What has God gifted you in? What are the passions that you have? What are the things you aspire to do? What are the things you aspire to do in life? What are your hopes? What are your dreams? What are your ambitions? Well, God has given those to you, and that's a good thing. But the problem is sometimes we, what we do is we take those ambitions and we take those desires at their core and, and with our narrow-mindedness, we see it being fulfilled in a particular way. But the thing is, God has more than likely has this entirely different thing that maybe doesn't come with the status, maybe doesn't come with the privilege, maybe doesn't come with all the perks that you think it should come with. And so we misdirect our ambition. We apply it in ways that God never intended for us. And so it just feels like we're always struggling in your life. We do things. We say, okay, God gave this to me, so it must be right, but why is it I'm always struggling? Well, maybe we haven't taken the time to understand and just simply ask God, God, what do you want to do with my life? What are you doing with these gifts and these talents? What are you doing with these passions, these things you've laid on my heart? What is it you would have you do in my life? Rather than us just trying to make sense of it in our own finite understanding. And I think that's where we run into that problem. But we can see it fulfilled if we're willing to die to ourselves and allow God to take control. And so it's this idea of the living sacrifice that I think God is calling us to this morning. We need to be willing to die to ourselves so that God can do what he needs to do. Here's the problem. Living sacrifices, we love that idea. Great image. Lord, I'm on the altar. I'm dying to myself. The problem is, living sacrifices have a tendency to crawl off the altar. 
Because what happens is when we see what it means to die to ourselves, the proverbial knife as it comes down to kill us, so to speak, we become afraid. Well, that means I need to give this up. I need to see that this thing, which I've always been hoping for my whole life, that's not going to happen. It means that the road is going to be difficult. It's not going to be glamorous. People are going to look down on me. People are going to judge me. People are going to misunderstand me. I don't know. I love the idea of being a living sacrifice, but I don't like what it's going to cost. And so we crawl off the altar. I think we need to be like Isaac. In the story of Abraham and Isaac, we probably heard it when we were growing up. And if you were in Sunday school years before when we used to use flannel board pictures, you always remember that picture of Isaac, the young boy, laying on the altar. Well, scholars have actually determined that at the time when Isaac was being sacrificed, he was actually a young man. He was maybe in his late teens, early 20s. So imagine understanding that story the way it is in that context. Here is Isaac, a very strong man, very capable, and his father Abraham starts to tie him up and then lays him on the altar. Isaac could have easily rolled himself off broken the ropes but he chose not to he was obedient he knew that his father loved him he knew that his god loved him so whatever was happening as crazy as it probably seemed in the moment as misunderstood and as confusing as it was for him isaac remained on the altar and i think that's what we need to do today as well And when we look at what God wants to do in our life, when we look at our ambitions, the things that we hope for, we are passionate about, we need to understand that we need to die to those things and allow God to take control. It will be difficult. It will be hard. It won't be easy. But I'd rather be in the will of God with peace and joy knowing that we're supposed to be than fighting with God every day. Because that journey is not fun. I've been there. I've had those seasons of my life where I've wanted to do it my own way. And so I pushed after it. I went after it. And I got it. But it wasn't fun. It wasn't easy. There was no peace in my heart. And so I learned to die to myself and just daily embrace what God would do. And I pray that that is where each and every one of us this morning will be as well. That we will surrender our dreams, our hopes to God. And that he will use them the way he would. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you this morning for this opportunity to come and hear from your word. We thank you for the life of James and John that has illuminated to us this morning the fact that we come to the table just as we are, uniquely made by you, and we want to thank you for that. All the good things, even the bad things, because you know who we are. You have made us the way we should be, and so we embrace every part of ourselves. But at the same time, Lord, we know that you are shaping us, you are molding us, And so we surrender ourselves to that process. Lord, forgive us for the times where we have fought against your will, where we have tried to do things our own way, where our ambitions have been misdirected. Lord, we want to see them fulfilled. And to do that, we surrender our wills. We surrender ourselves to you. Because it is only in that place of surrender where we are truly free. And we are alive in you. And we can walk with you in love and in joy and in peace. And so this morning, that is what we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.